Welcome to Tradies News in a Nutshell. Call 1300 01 1170 or text 0457 736 736. Morning, wherever you're listening around the world. My name is Charles Goodser and I'm your host for today, the 30th of January 2024, Tuesday, Tradies News in a nutshell. Daniel Pettigrew, your regular host, is still away at the moment, but don't stress, he will be back tomorrow. We've got a lot to catch up on, a big 24 hours in the world of sport. The dust continues to settle on Australia's shock loss to the West Indies in the second test match. They've uh, There have been a few voices on it. One, Tim Payne, as well, has had his say. And we'll also have a look at someone under the microscope, which is Manus Labashain. Also, Chris Perkins, our correspondent for America, will will join us to chat all things NFL. There were two massive uh, matchups yesterday. Of course, the AFC Championship game and the NFC Championship game. Our Super Bowl matchup has been determined. It's the Kansas City Chiefs and the San Francisco 49ers. So we'll get all of his thoughts on that as well. We'll also play a little bit later a press conference from uh, Andrew McDonald uh, following that West Indies loss. He answers a lot of burning questions. Uh, very interested uh, to get your thoughts on that one as well. And then wrapping up, we'll have a look at some of the other big news in the world of sport, particularly in the NRL with Ray Fatal and Mariner uh, being released by the Bulldogs and immediately joining uh, the Dragons on a two-year deal. So plenty to discuss this morning. It's always a, it's always massive uh, massive news going on in the world of sports. So if you have anything to say at all, would love to hear from you this morning. 0457 736 736 is the text line number. Or if you want to give me a call, uh, the number is 1300 01 so let, let's get into the big topic this morning. The, the dust has now settled on Australia's shock loss to the West Indies. I, I think the, the point has, it's kind of the point where we've acknowledged what an amazing win it was by the West Indies and how great it was for, for test cricket and the like. But I think now the microscope and even the, the blowtorch really is firmly on the Australian team. And how the hell did we lose that test match? Uh, this is what um, former Australian captain Tim Payne had to say on SEN uh, Tassie yesterday. Uh, just have a listen. And it just goes to show, mate, if you can get two guys bowling in excess of 145, you can beat anyone. Who they can do. put the wind up teams, for one, with genuine speed, but they've also got skill and accuracy and, and can knock you over. And I thought they did. They bowled superbly. We didn't bat very well. No, we and didn't. I don't know what you thought, but I... I mean, I was thinking last night when I watched it, and I, I was thinking a little bit in the first innings, like, what's going on here? Because man for man, we should destroy that team. It just looked like a team that was pro- probably a little bit fatigued, mentally and physically. Well, it has been a long, It's been a big 12 months, 12 and that's months, what I, yeah. I was trying to go through in my own mind. So to win a World Cup, to win the Test World Championships, to uh, have an Ashes series in England, there's a lot of really big emotional highs and I don't think they went out and was like geez we're tired or we can't be bothered but sometimes there is a drop off in the mentality um, and the last test of the summer stinking hot high humidity it's not an excuse I'm just saying I saw signs of fatigue and I think that was mental as well as physical and I think it was on the back of what's been a really really big 12 months for a huge number of those guys. That was former Australian Test captain Tim Payne there, who's uh, the host of SEN Tassie with Brent Costello. 
And it's hard to disagree with what he said there. I think, man for man, we should have absolutely destroyed that team. It should not have been anywhere as close as it was uh, in Adelaide, as well as uh, at the Gabba. And I think it speaks to the fact that uh, the players looked really fatigued. And I think Travis Head is a really good big example of that. Had a massive year in 2023. And especially that World Cup campaign, which really highlighted his, his, his achievements as well. Comes back. Three Golden Ducks this summer, a King Pair at the Gabba after posting a, a ton. It was a bit of rocks and diamonds from him as well. So I, I, th- I think the point I take mostly from Tim Payne there is is fatigue. I think it was really hard to get up for this summer, and I don't think that should be an excuse. But when you've come off arguably the biggest ever year for Australian cricket in 2023, had that series away to India. You then had the World Test Championship and away Ashes and then a World Cup in India as well. And they're all billed as just massive, massive games and must-wins as well. And for, for what it's worth, Australia achieved pretty much all of it. Uh, we look, we didn't win that series in India, but we got away with, with a test win. It was a 2-1 series um, margin in the end, and we got better as, as it went on. We retained the Ashes, which is ultimately the goal. You don't want to lose the Ashes in England and, and played some pretty good cricket. We stood up to, to Basball. That World Cup run was just absolutely phenomenal. We obviously got the World Test Championship as well. So then coming back home to Australia, three tests against Pakistan, two against the West Indies who'd come out the summer before. It's hard to get up for those opponents. I think the cricket that we got from the West Indies and Pakistan was far better than what any of us had anticipated. And I think we need to give both our opponents a lot of credit for that. But I think we also need to... Look at Australia as a whole, especially our batting lineup. That they just look fatigued, and they just—it's not as if they didn't want to be there. Of course, they want to be there, but I think it's understandable that you know you can't get up for the grand final every single week as we did in 2023. It will get to you. The bowlers, I think, don't deserve a lot of the criticism, but was a mistake to play our bowlers for all five tests? Should we've got someone like a Lance Morrison? I—if you've listened to. Any of the shows across SCN, you'll know I'm big on Lance Morris. I think he should have been playing against the West Indies. Wasn't picked. He was playing for the Scorchers in the, in the Big Bash. But I just think they give some of our bigger bowlers a rest because now we have this situation where our next two, uh, our next test match, the only two test matches we play um, for 2024 before our next home summer, is starts on February 29 in New Zealand. And I think we've got a big decision to make there. Do we play the squad that we just had or do we give our bowlers a bit of a rest to recharge, refresh and we I'm not saying we send it our B squad but do we look at the likes of a Scott Boland who would probably do pretty well in New Zealand as a seam bowler? Do we unleash the wild thing in Lance Morris? Do, do we make a few tweaks as well? Um, yeah, plenty of problems with the Australian cricket team at the moment. Nothing too alarming just something to, to you know, have a look on the radar but I think the one problem that I have that's really typified how poor this summer has been in terms of the batting is, is Manus Labuschagne. So it, it, it's on the back page of, of both Sydney papers this morning, the Daily Telegraph, the Sydney Morning Herald. It's it, it's it's probably snuck under the radar a little bit, but now that the test summer is over, people have really started to analyse it a lot more. Now, this is marketed as a bit of a fill-your-boot summer uh, in terms of the bat. It didn't eventuate. The bowlers really got out of got us out of trouble. A couple, one, two individuals uh, steered us out of danger. And I think Jared Waitley uh, on SEN in Melbourne put it best when he said, 
the loss to the West Indians was the smack in the mouth that, that had been, you know, coming for a while this summer. This is Marnus Labashain. So last summer, he filled his boots against the West Indies, who made consecutive scores of 204, 104 not out, and 163. Since then, he has managed just one century in 35 innings. His average has fallen from 61 to just under 51, which is still a very good average, by the way, but from the minus that we've come to know, those numbers aren't really stacking up. In 10 innings this summer, Labashain has made three 60s and seven scores of 16 or less to average 28. He scored 19 runs against the West Indies from an average of six, uh, 0.33, which just isn't good enough for a player of his caliber. Now, I'm going to play you a little bit of that press conference from Andrew McDonald where he touches on Marnus Labashain and, and his form struggles, but he, I will forecast he did say he isn't going anywhere. So we'll just have to wait and see. Uh, look, we're not going to drop Marnus Labashain. If you think we should drop Marnus Labashain, please send me a text 0457 736 736. Let me know what you think. Should we drop him? Should we make a statement before New Zealand? I don't think we do. I think good players, that they go through bad patches of form. I think uh, what Andrew McDonald said is that they've been bowling certain plans to him and, and they've been getting him out. It's up to Marnus now to be the amazing batter that he is to get out of this form slump. And the runs will come. He's too good of a batter not to uh, rectify this. And now we turn our attention to the West Indies and what an amazing story that was. And I think that the fanfare, especially from Australians, has been really wonderful to see. I think a lot of people were uh, supporting the West Indies when they won. I think we wanted to see you know, a competitive match. And I think it was heartwarming to see Shamar Joseph, who was practically on one leg because of his broken toe, just charge in and just bowl one of the most unbelievable spells of fast bowling you were ever likely to see. But there were some who took a bit of an issue with it. And I'm going to play a little bit of audio again from Tim Payne in SCN Tasmania. He took a bit of an issue with some past players supporting, I, I guess, the West Indies. Have a listen. Were you barracking for the West Indies yesterday? No, I was not. And I never <laughs> would. And it annoys me. I, I get it from a fan's point of view. It annoys me when I hear past players commentating and almost... Barracking, I find that oh. really hard to listen to. Team that was superb it was. yesterday. It was awesome for the West Indies. It was not great for Australia. No, it wasn't great. It wasn't a great performance. And I don't like. I just don't like it. It feels a bit uncomfortable. It's like, why are you barracking against your team that you played in? Well, as I a, get the picture. It's great that the West. Everyone wants the West Indies to be good. Everyone wants Test cricket to be really competitive. And so from that sense, as a fan, I get it. But if that's the team I played in, that's my team. It was amazing. And it is, in a way, great for Test cricket. I still think they're a fair way off. I don't think last night fixed Test cricket no. and the West Indies are all of a sudden this powerhouse. But what I did love about the West Indies, which reminded me a little bit of the olden days, was the flair. And we saw mm. some, we're seeing some characters and the passion and the energy yep. and the celebrations when yep. they get wickets. That's what I remember as a kid, watching Viv and watching Brian Lara and watching Carl Hooper, who I've just spent time with. And, and I did enjoy seeing Carl yesterday cry yeah. in the ABC box because he was – it's been a long, hard road for those guys to have 
West Indies cricket at the pinnacle and all the hard work they put in it to, to see it erode decade by decade and, and some of it avoidable in the way the game's governed over there and, and what how the money's controlled and spent and or not spent. Um, so for them, it was an amazing day. To win at the Gabba is one of the hardest places for touring tides all around the world to go to and win because of the bounce and the swing and the different conditions like us going to India. Um, and it was. It was huge. And it was, in a way, I get that it was enjoyable. But. And, <laughs> yeah, but for me. No I, chance you were barracking for the West Indies. No, never barracking for an, another team to play against Australia. Not a chance. Yeah, interesting there. Again, that was Tim Payne, uh, co-host of SEN down in Tassie. I, I see his point, especially past players. You know, you, you should get around Australia and support the team. But I, I just think that, you know, test cricket, we, we've gone on about how it's an art form and how it needs to be preserved. The West Indies, you know, of and Tim Payne alluded to it, it's been a lot of their own doing in terms of, you know, where they've prioritised the money. Test cricket isn't there. And we see this team of, look, relatively nobodies, with all due respect to the, uh, the West Indies side. But now, with Shamar Joseph will forever be etched in Test Cricket history. Even if he doesn't play another Test match ever again, God forbid, of course, but if he never plays another Test match, he will always go down as that spell will go down as one of the greatest spells of fast bowling ever. So I think what people got caught up in, and Brent Costello, his co-host, sort of said that, you know, him being a journo, I think he wasn't so much barracking for the West Indies, but so much barracking for, for the story, for the narrative, for how amazing it was. It was unbelievable on Sunday just, you know, watching the cricket and just seeing Australia, you know, look really comfortable to all of a sudden Shamar Joseph coming on and changing the game completely. So I disagree with Tim Payne a little bit about people barracking for the team. I don't think anyone's barracking for the West Indies. I think we're barracking for the narrative. And Australia loves an underdog. And I think that was one of the most underdog performances of all time. And it will live long in the memory of a lot of people, especially the 3,000-odd that were there that day at the Gabba. What do you think of Tim Payne's comments on uh, barracking for, for, for another team if you know, you're an Australian or an ex-Australian cricketer? And also, what do you think about you know what him saying that Australia looked a bit fatigued this summer, and that you know maybe we weren't as up for this Test match and we should have thrashed the West Indies? Would love to hear your thoughts. Oh four five seven seven three six seven three six. Chris Perkins is on the line. I'll just get him to hold. And if you've got a question for him about the Super Bowl, about the NFC Championship game or the AFC Championship game. Whether Mahomes is the greatest of all time, please send through a text. I might ask him that as well. 0457 736 736. You're listening to Traders News in a Nutshell. Coming up afterwards, it's Chris Perkins. Good morning. Welcome back to Traders News in a Nutshell. I'm your host, Charles Goodsir. Chris Perkins is on the line for America, so it's time for this. Now on Tradies News, it's time to get the latest from the USA. Yes, Chris Perkins joins me on the line all the way from America. I believe you're in Pennsylvania, isn't that right, Chris? Yeah, enjoying the lovely, lovely winter weather we have. We have snow on the ground, snow flying around. It's one degree Celsius. I, I know it's hot and humid down there this morning. Uh, 
I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry. I would prefer this would be a day I would I'd be headed to the beach. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure uh, many of uh, the Tradies News and Nutshell audience will be heading down there later at some point. Well, look, it was a massive day yesterday in the NFL. Uh, where do we start? I reckon we start with the NFC Championship game. So the San Francisco 49ers, uh, they were down 24-7 to at halftime. And Brock Purdy, look, he's been called a game manager by some, uh, not an elite quarterback. But do you think he silenced his critics yesterday, Chris? Probably should have. His critics are not going anywhere because there are too many egos involved because Brock Purdy is Mr. Irrelevant. Seventh round pick in 2022, the final pick in the draft. That means 31 other teams had multiple looks at Brock Purdy on their draft board and went, nah, we'll pass. We'll go with somebody else. And Brock Purdy, all he's done in two in less than two years as the starter in San Francisco, he has led them to two consecutive NFC Championship games. Probably would have been back-to-back Super Bowls had he not gotten hurt in the in the NFC title game last year in Philadelphia. Uh, but he made up for it this year. And, and San Francisco was on a mission. Now you mentioned the twenty-four-seven deficit at halftime. Detroit was rolling in that first half. But here, here's an interesting thing. Halftime of, the, halftime of the game. You know who was playing at Levi's Stadium at halftime, played some music at halftime uh, yesterday in Santa, in Santa Clara? They were playing Eminem, weren't the they? Band was? No, they were playing. Journey was performing. Oh. Don't stop believing. They didn't stop believing in, in San Francisco in the Bay Area. And they came out in the second half and turned the game on its head. Now, they got a lot of help from Detroit. Dan Campbell has come in for a lot of criticism in the last 18 or so hours regarding his play calling in the second half, namely the two fourth down conversions. Now, we'll go, we'll go through. There was a third area as well that he really hasn't gotten criticized in the right, in, in where I think he should get criticized. Uh, we'll go through them step by step here. 24-10, got the ball. Detroit's got the ball at the Frisco 28 on a fourth and two, chance to you know chance to kick a field goal, get the lead back to 17, three score lead. As the clock is ticking down, that is going to be tough for Frisco to come back from. Dan Campbell, to his credits, what he always does, he's aggressive. Went for it on fourth and two. It would have been a 46-yard field goal attempt, which is Getting out there, but a professional kicker should be able to hit that pretty consistently. Go for it on fourth down, drop the pass, turnover on downs. Frisco takes the ball down. They get a lucky break when a pass bounces off a defender's face mask, and Brandon IU catches it at the Detroit 5. They cash that in for a touchdown at the seven-point game. The very next play, Jameer Gibbs for Detroit fumbles. Recovered by Frisco. They cash that in for a touchdown on a short field, and all of a sudden we're tied at 24. That is how quickly the game turned. Eight minutes into the second half, we've gone from 24-7 to 24-all. And San Francisco, they felt it. The crowd's in it. The players are, are like, oh, no, we've got this. We've got this. They take the lead. And then fourth quarter, 
Campbell's got another opportunity at the 30. Okay, it's a San Francisco 30. Would have been a 48-yard field goal on a fourth and three. Chance to tie the game. This is what the first one. Don't have a problem. Don't quite have as much of a problem with because he was thinking, let's go for the jugular. Let's get a let's get a touchdown. Be three touchdowns up and put this thing to bed. Didn't work. This one had a chance to tie the game. I thought he should have kicked it. Instead, went for it. Briscoe played brilliant defense, disguised their coverage well, stopped the, you know, got the stop, took it down to the other end, cashed it in for a touchdown, and they're up by 10, and basically the game's over at that point. Now, Detroit had a chance. They, they had a possession, and they were, on, they were just past the two-minute warning with all three times. And I think it was, uh, I think Goff found Sam Laporte along the sideline inside the 20. Out of bounds with more than 90 seconds left in all three timeouts. You're down 10. You need two scores of some sort. I was yelling at my iPad when he went out of bounds, kick the field goal. At that point, you're seven down with all three timeouts. You kick the ball back to San Francisco and put it on your defense to make a stop. You get the ball back with about a minute 10 to go, roughly, potentially. With, with a chance to drive down and win the game. They didn't do it. They wasted a lot more, a little bit more time. But more importantly, on, on third down at the goal line, they ran it and didn't score. They had to burn a timeout. Detroit winds up getting the touchdown, had to go for the onside kick, which is impossible, and Detroit was done at that point and wound up losing. So there were some questionable coaching decisions in the game by Dan Campbell, but part of it comes back to his aggressiveness. But uh, I, I would hope he learns from this. And, you know, game, you know, game situation, uh, you, you've got to use some context in your decision-making. Yeah, I, that was a perfect summation there, Chris, of what went down. And Dan Campbell, I think he's won a lot of, lot of fans, a lot of hearts, and there's that great kneecap. I love the guy. Yeah, there's that great kneecap presser when he first got hired, and I think you can see the genesis of what he tried to create. You know, build build around, build up a culture that's had nothing but but fail. You know, that the same old Lions routine that that always gets trudged out. There were some questionable yep. calls. I, I I do agree, but is that just his style? Do we take the good with the bad, or were those all time big mistakes that are going to haunt the Detroit Lions for for years to come? It's going to be a little bit of both, and it's going to depend on what happens in the future. Because Detroit has a lot of talent on their team. they got a lot of good young talent on both sides of the ball. Mention Sam Laporta, Jameer Gibbs. Um, they've got Aiden Hutchinson on defense. Uh, you know, Jared Goff, great veteran quarterback who has been to a Super Bowl, who, who has been in these big moments before. Um, it, it's, if, if Detroit gets back back again – and gets past this NFC championship hump, okay, you call it a learning experience. But, man, if it's another 30 years that we're waiting for an NFC championship game in Detroit, that, that's going to be in, in, in legend. Those plays are going to be magnified significantly if it's a long time before Detroit's back in this position. We just won't know until, you know, until we get further down the track. Yeah, that that's a, that's a great point there, Chris. Let's move over to the other side, the AFC Championship game. Uh, Baltimore 
look, they were their heavy favourites going into this. Um, I'm sure you might be aware of all those Lamar Jackson TikTok edits. And they said, save us from, from Kansas City, from Mahomes, from Taylor Swift, <laughs> from Brittany Mahomes, all, all that. But at the end of the day, he, he and, and the rest of the team just did not get it done. Where did it go wrong? No. I think inexperience. I, you're, you're talking about, you know, look at Baltimore and Kansas City. Baltimore had the number one overall defense. Kansas City came in with a fantastic defense, probably the best defense of Patrick Mahomes' career uh, in Kansas City this year. They were locked down, lights out deep on the defensive side of the ball this year. You know, Baltimore came in, they'd averaged 30 points a game. They scored 10 yesterday against the Chiefs. That's how good that defense is in Kansas City. Uh, Kansas City's been there. This was their sixth consecutive AFC championship game. They, they have been in the biggest moments. Baltimore hasn't been there. They had, this was the first time the Baltimore Ravens had hosted the AFC championship game. This was the first AFC title game in the city of Baltimore since Johnny Unitas was the starter in, 19, <laughs> in January of 1971. Going back a long way. The Oakland Raiders, <laughs> when they beat the Oakland Raiders at Memorial Stadium, the Baltimore Colts did, at Memorial Stadium in Baltimore to advance to Super Bowl V. It had been a long time since Baltimore had hosted a game this big. Lamar Jackson, he's still young. It was his first AFC championship game of his career, and he looked off. He was, he's going to be awarded the MVP at NFL Honors. There's no doubt about it in my mind. Great, great regular season. It's just what happens on the day. And yesterday, he looked off. He made a couple of great plays. The touchdown pass to Zay Flowers was quintessential Lamar Jackson, where the pocket breaks down, everybody's covered, and he pulls a Houdini act to escape the pressure, get some room to throw, and instead of running it, he saw Zay Flowers behind the defense and threw a BB into the end zone for a touchdown. That was their only touchdown of the game. He had a couple of other plays. But he had opportunities where he could have run, and he didn't. He, he missed throws. He overthrew guys. He underthrew guys. He missed to the side. Everything just seemed a bit off, and I think it comes down to nerves and inexperience that he's going to learn from. This is going to leave a bad taste in his mouth. This should leave a bad taste in a whole lot of mouths in Baltimore. Zay Flowers had that great touchdown pass. Had another completion. He gets down inside the 10, decides to spin the ball next to Legereus Sneed and stare at him. You know, stand over him and stare at him. Gets flagged for taunting. Same drive, gets it back. They get it back into the red zone. Back to Zay Flowers. He catches it at the five over the middle, turns it up. Looks like he's going to get in the end zone for a touchdown. He dives. And wouldn't you know it, Legereus Sneed gets the ultimate revenge, punched it out at, with the ball at the half-yard line. Chiefs recover. Baltimore gets no points. There was a lot of inexperience, a lot of bad stakes, youthful mistakes made by the Ravens. They had a roughing the passer penalty when Mahomes got whacked by a defender. I, I can't remember who it was, but uh, he got clotheslined. I mean, this is something straight out of a WWE ring. He winds up getting clotheslined. 
flag gets thrown. The uh, call is going to get made. Kyle Van Noy gets called for unnecessary roughness when he headbutts Travis Kelsey. Stupid things like that, and that comes from inexperience in these games, and the Chiefs took advantage of it. Yeah, and, and you mentioned the, the great defense, and Snead, I thought, played amazing outside of that one play from Flowers. He did get the ultimate revenge by knocking that ball out and pretty yeah. much snuffing uh, any sort of uh, attacking play out. You, it, you mentioned his defense. I think it's uh, Mahomes' defense. I think you could argue that his uh, offensive weapons uh, this season has been the worst of his career but yet he still managed to get to the Super Bowl. I think we, we mentioned Brock Purdy, yeah. the, the criticism against him as being a bit of a game manager, but I think Mahomes has sort of stepped into that role where he's uh, mitigating the risks. Um, do you think that will be the key to him, you know, lifting another Lombardi trophy? I just let Patrick Mahomes do Patrick Mahomes things. There, something happened. Listen, I'm the guy back in October who sold the Chiefs. Mm. I didn't like what I was seeing from the Chiefs back in October. I said they're cooked. They don't have a shot this year. Had I tweeted that out, I'd have to out myself to old takes exposed. Yeah, exactly. You're right. For saying that. Because I, I was completely wrong. Something has happened in January for the Kansas City Chiefs, and you bet against the Chiefs in January at your peril. This Super Bowl is going to be classic. It's going to be every bit as good as the Niners and Chiefs were four years ago down in Miami. This is going to be another classic one between these two teams. I am so excited about it. About Brock Purdy, put that game manager argument up on the shelf and never look at it again. The last two weeks, what has Brock Purdy done? He played poorly for three quarters against Green Bay, but when it counted the most, he made the drive, he made the plays, and the Niners won. Yesterday, Detroit was boat racing the Niners and for the first 30 minutes. Second half, Brock Purdy comes out. He makes the plays, takes advantage of mistakes by, by the Detroit Lions, gets them back in the ballgame, and leads them on to a victory. Yeah, it, it, it can, uh, he was masterful yesterday. But now I want to get down to, I want to get your early prediction for the matchup at Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas. I want your Super Bowl winner, the margin, and who do you think is going to be the Super Bowl MVP? Not a chance. <laughs> we are 13 days out, my friend. I I don't know where I'm leaning on this one. The line opened, the, they... Vegas put the, the opening line out last night after the NFC Championship game. Frisco minus two and a half. It's down to one. It's already been bet down to one. These are two similar teams. A lot of talent on both sides of the ball. I don't know where I'm leaning yet, and I'm not gonna know. Probably, I'm not gonna know where I'm leaning probably till the end of next week. <clears throat> yeah, I, I'm with you. I think I'm. I'm. You know, you're flip flopping, flip of a coin. <laughs> you, you don't know who, but for what it's worth, and I think this is more of who I want to win rather than who I think will win. But I think uh, San Francisco by three, and I think Christian McCaffrey uh, will get the Super Bowl MVP. Chris, thank I you can, very much I, for I joining. Can certainly make that case. Yes, thank you very much for joining us here on Tradies News in a nutshell, all the way from Pennsylvania, mate. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. Have a good day. Thank you very much. 
Welcome back to Tradies News in a Nutshell. I'm your host, Charles Goodsir. I said at the start of the program I'd play some of the presser from Andrew McDonald post the West Indies loss. Here's what he had to say to journos uh, after the loss. Andrew, even before we get into like, the disappointment of having lost the test, just, just to be on the sidelines of part of such a, a great test match and yeah. for them to win after seven years. Yeah, it'd be nice if we snuck over the line and we're talking about the test match that way. But um, yeah, we've got ourselves into some situations over the last 12 months and been able to get ourselves out of them and that's been the great strength of this team and in this one we just couldn't quite get over the line so but um, to Shamar in particular I mean it's almost a, a single-handed effort wasn't it to, to undo us and it was incredible he challenged us and, and most of those dismissals were, were genuine um, batters getting knocked over uh, so yeah so full credit to the West Indies they stuck into the game they were in a predicament early in the game then they pushed the pressure back onto us and yeah, I felt like coming to the ground today that you know, we've given ourselves every chance on the back of some, some serious work yesterday in the heat. Um, so disappointing, but there's still some positives, no doubt, within it all. What do you take out of it going, I know you lost the field, but going into this challenging New Zealand series, what are the things that you take out of it that you think you've positively Well, I think the bowling unit getting five test matches in and, and getting through, and they've all pulled up well again, I think that's a... It's an incredible success uh, for the same attack to play throughout the summer. So I think that's a, that's a huge positive, and in particular on the back of where we've been in terms of the workload we've had, but the way they've pulled up. Um, so that really bodes well for uh, New Zealand. Steve Smith at the top of the order. Um, no doubt that's been spoken about um, you know, publicly around potentially is that the right move, but felt like in this game, and you know, the 91 not out was a significant knock and the way he was able to control it and give us an opportunity, that was a huge positive. Cameron Green got some time in the middle and was undone by a ball that you know bounced a little bit and found its way back onto the stumps, but the way he played and the way he moved, um, yeah, so there's positives throughout, um, and that's just to mention a few. You give the batting order, you give the time to gel, actually, you know, you know, change it just uh, after a couple of tests, just because you've lost one either. No, definitely not, no, no, we're not in the uh, in the mood to change the batting order, um, we feel like as a collective that that unit will be able to have success over multiple test matches, um, and, and we'll let that play out. Andrew, that was very complimentary of uh, Cameron's spell yesterday, um, do you feel like yeah, yeah, I think so. Depend. I mean, New Zealand, you can get some some flat conditions as well. So, but generally, early on in the Test matches, there's a lot of life in it. So, um, he, he's a genuine fourth quick option, and we went to him ahead of uh, Mitch Marsh in this game. And the previous one, we went to Mitch Marsh and uh, instead of Cameron Green. So, we've got options of plenty there. Um, but yeah, he was able to control. He was pretty unlucky. I think he ended up with 37, one for 37 off 10, and it felt like it could have been anything. So, no, he's really impressive the way that he stepped back to the bowling crease. Um, so yeah, we're optimistic that he can play a, a full all-rounder's role. There's no doubt about that in New Zealand. I think if you watched his innings um, at Shield level and at international level, um, he, he can start slow. Uh, there's no doubt about that, and that's something that he's working on. Um, it takes him a while to get his movements in sync, sync at times, but that's no different to any other batter. But once he's up and going and and moving well, there's yeah, there's it's a it's a pretty good sight. No, there's no restrictions. Um, it's like all the quicks. We, we try to manage them um, the best that we can. There's no doubt about that. Um, and as you saw yesterday, there was no restrictions on him. He would have been able to bowl more overs should that have been the need. So um, we feel as though, yeah, he's in a position now that you know, the reins will be let, 
let loose on his bowling. Um, it has been that way for a period of time. It was probably only really in the first couple of years of Test cricket coming off the back of where he'd been with stress fractures that were probably a little bit cautious in terms of building him, but um, there's no doubt that he's, he's capable whatever we put in front of him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How do you address that? Does it go back to the individual players? I guess how sharp what the focus is starting to be? First and foremost, you don't want to put yourself in those positions. There's no doubt about that. Um, we have found ourselves in those positions. But I think the context around that is the wickets have been a little bit trickier. Um, and I, I think players have mentioned that when, when you've got the ball in hand and it feels like things are getting away from there's always enough life in the surfaces. So it's, it's probably over the last 12 months have been a more even balance between bat and ball. So I think that's probably reflected in, in the way games have ebbed and flowed. You can get back in and you saw today, you know, two for 110 or something like that. And there was still enough on offer and they were able to expose that and then suddenly they're back in the game and then we've got to work to get back in. So I think the surfaces have probably lent themselves to that. Um, there's no doubt we, we want to get better at that as well. That's definitely an improvement area. Um, yeah, and there'll be some batters that sit in the room that potentially look back on the summer and there's a few missed opportunities there. Was it decision making? Was it good bowling? And, and that'll all unfold. But th these guys have got an appetite to improve the whole time and you guys witnessed that. So Having refreshed the batting order a couple of test matches ago, is it as much now about, I suppose, keeping faith with that and that play out over the bigger sample size than two games? Yeah, definitely. Um, and I suppose if you, if you look at the irony of it all, the, the question marks were on Steve Smith and Cameron Green and they were our two best performed batters today so um, but we, we see our batting unit as a collective uh, and there's going to be people that fail within that at times uh, there's going to be people that succeed and it's all hands on deck but we feel as though with that order the way it is they, they complement each other and um, yeah we should be able to navigate through most situations. When you have someone uh, sorry like, like minus another shed uh, who you know his average was in the 60s for such a long time and now you it's the lowest it's been since the summer of minus five years ago, 50.8 or whatever. Is it just an international career evening out, or do you look at that with not concern, but uh, you actually look at those numbers and go, is something that needs to be worked on? I think the positive within that would be that the law of averages suggests that he's due for a couple of bumper test matches and series. So we've got full trust and faith in the way that he goes about his preparation, uh, the way he goes about his innings. So um, he's been undone by you know, certain plans at times. So there's no doubt he'll be looking into that as he normally does. He'll get busy, he'll get back to work. And um, we've got full confidence in his ability to rebound. And he's, he's a quality player and you don't average 50 in test cricket. But there's no doubt that you're going to go through some lulls uh, of form, uh, if you want to call it that. Um, yeah, but we expect him to bounce back. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, we've sort of just spoken to the boys there in the wrap-up and, and that'll be something, sitting down looking at what the best preparation is on the back of a, a long summer for, for the majority. Um, every individual will be different in and around that and we've shown that even at the start of the summer with BBL. So, yeah, we've got to make sure that we tailor that preparation for New Zealand to each individual and, and we'll work on that over the next 24, 48 hours and get that out. And just a broader one about dropping this test match now with the World Test Championship. Yeah. Does that add an extra focus? Does it really ram home the, kind of, the importance of every test match, even when a series is drawn or the series is, is won already? Yes, no doubt, and that's what we focus on, and, and that's part of the debrief is that we've dropped one at home, and clearly that means we probably need to make one up overseas. So we've got two overseas tours left in New Zealand and Sri Lanka. There's four test matches there uh, as a collective, and then you've got five against India at home. So every test match is going to have an importance, and I think that's the wonderful part about the the IT uh, the, the World Test Championship. Um, um, how's Steve feeling after knocking his finger? 
Yeah, I think he just stretched his abdominal sort of muscle down there, but he's he's fine. Um, and then the knock, yeah, there's no ice on his hand or anything like that, so I think it might have just jammed it. But um, yeah, he got through fine. Just on step. Oh, there's disappointment whenever you lose a test match. I think even Josh Hazelwood, you know, he sits in the room afterwards and you know, he's probably the last man out, so that's probably the focus point, isn't it? Um, and it's like any game it's of sport. You really, you probably focus on the back end of the game. Um, that's your focus point. But throughout the, the whole game, could we have found nine runs here or there? There's no doubt about that. But, yeah, the boys are disappointed. Um, as you said, the importance of the World Test Championship, um, yeah, I... Yeah, it, it means that we're just going to have to pick up some points away. Just on Steve, what's the value for him of these one day as given where you're at in the cycle and you know, clearly he's pulling into a new role in the test, in the test side? Uh, in terms of the value of him playing? Playing, yeah, and for him and, for, and the team. Oh, he's captain, so it's important that you know, we've got some strong leadership around a young group and we feel as though we've got that in Steve. Uh, we've got the, um, the ICC Champions Trophy as well uh, on the horizon, so that's our next major challenge and trophy. And it, it feels as though those players that are involved will still get to that. Um, there's no doubt we've got a little bit of a, a focus on what it might look like in four years, and that's probably shown in, in some of the selections that we've made. Um, but yeah, the next trophy up for grabs is, is the Champions Trophy, and yeah, we want to build towards that as well, and, and not dismiss obviously the four-year build to the World Cup as well. Extra when you actually go to the Caribbean, um, what, second half next year? Yeah, it's been a while. You'd probably be able to tell me when the last one was. Um, there's no doubt. There's some exciting talent um, the West Indies have got, and I think that that should be the story in, in amongst all of this is the way that they played and you know, they, they took it to us. They got ahead of the game. We worked our way back into it, and, and then they shut the door finally. And, on that last day and after the blow last night to Shamar's foot you know no one sort of gave him a, a fighter's chance of getting out there and, and that spell we produced um, the length of it the quality of it and the speed I think he was hitting high 140s um, that was exciting so yeah they've got some exciting talent and it's great to see for West Indies cricket we've got a call on the line Chris from Rose Bay joins us Chris you want to have a chat about Manus I do want to talk about Manus and I want to talk about him in a way I think he's a victim of uh of how he started his test cricket career because, you know, he came in when Steve Smith got concussed and he played very well in the Ashes. He came out here, when he came back here, I cannot remember a guy getting dropped as many times as Marnus did. Everybody else was out to sensational catches and he kept on getting dropped and it became almost like a joke. I think at one stage he was dropped more than any other test cricketer over a certain period of time in the field. And, all of a sudden, he was elevated to the number one batsman in the world on the ICC rankings. And a lot of us here are thinking, huh? Like, okay, he's a good bat, but he was never the number one bat in the world. And I, I seriously think now, if you're looking at the Australian team, you would say there are three or four bats in that side who are probably above Marnus in terms of ability, I think. Um, so in a way, I think... Um, when we look at him, Marnus, we look at this guy who was the best batsman in the world, which he never really was. And now I think um, the reverse is happening where he's being out to good catches. But but may, maybe we just uh, had, some of us had an overinflated opinion of Marnus's ability from the beginning. Yeah, that, that's a good point you raised there, Chris. I, I think they touched on, on that, that luck aspect in the, the test season too, where... 
You know, I think it was David Warner who just shook his head and said he has to be the luckiest batter ever. I think we saw in that Adelaide test, you know, getting dropped on 90-odd uh, from absolute soda from Josh Butler. So I, I do see your point, Chris. Um, so what, what do you think? Do, do you think he should be, you know, remain in, in the test side? Do, do you think we should maybe give him a rest for this New Zealand series? What, what do you think, Chris? No, I think he should probably stay in the side, but I just think we've got to get a realistic opinion of, of where where he sits in the pecking order. And I just think that, I mean, I don't know what you felt, but when he became the ICC number one batsman in the world, I'm scratching my head thinking, well, yeah, but I mean, <laughs> there's a lot of factors at play here. And now I think he's, well, do you, do you honestly think he's, a, he's our best batter or our second best batter or our third best bat in the country? Oh, I, I, I wouldn't Kawhi, say at the moment, no, Chris. I'd say it's horribly you know, out I, I think three or four in front of it, but he adds a lot to the team in his fielding and, you know, he's, uh, everything else he brings to the field. But I, I just, yeah, I mean, I'm happy for him to stay in the side at the moment. I think he's got, well, put it this way, I think Green's probably more doubtful than him in the side at the moment. But um, at the same time, I just don't think he's the bee's knees all the time, Marnus. I just think we're just getting a more realistic look at uh, at his ability levels. That's all. I think that's a very fair point you raised there, Chris. Chris, thank you very much for calling into Tradies News in a nutshell. Thank you, Charles. Thank you. Thank you very much there for Chris for, for calling in. He, yeah, he voiced his opinions on Marnus Labuschagne. I think he raises a good point. I think we all forget that Marnus is one of the luckiest batters we've ever seen in Test cricket history. Maybe his luck has run out. I, I'm not suggesting for a minute that he's not a good batter at all because he is. You have to be a good batter to score the weight of runs that he has. Maybe he's just the rub of the green, you know, the drop of the ball just isn't going the way he thinks. Uh, the Chookman is on the text line as well. He says, no excuses for Aussie cricketers, Charles. They were undone by a great spell of fast bowling. I would agree with that as well. And he also adds, what a win by the 49ers. Cheers, Chookman, the San Francisco fan. That's nice to hear. And this one came from Bondi Jack. This is in relation to Chris Perkins as well. Uh, Please advise Chris, my dear, for the Chooks to promote a star-spangled UM jumper design for Vegas fell on deaf ears. Chris learned we are red, white, and navy, and he swore it was the best Vegas promo I've heard and said, no-brainer, Bondi Jack. I think it is a no-brainer, Bondi Jack. I think you need to embrace that, that market. I think to use a bit of an AFL analogy, and Bonnie Jack, I know you're not a fan of AFL, but just hear me out here. The Gold Coast Suns, when they played Port Adelaide in that game in, in Shanghai, in China, when the AFL were trying to push into the Asia markets, you know, Port Adelaide were furious that Gold Coast were going to be wearing their home jersey, which is, of course, uh, red and gold, which is obviously the, the national colours of China. So I think, and you know, all the Chinese got, got behind the Gold Coast Suns. So I think I agree with you on Bonnie Jack. You've got to play into the... The, the patriotic nature of, of America. They they love the Star Spangled Banner. They love the red, white, and blue. So, Bonnet Jack, I'm with you on that one. Uh, apologies, I had to cut that uh, Andrew McDonald press conference short. Uh, but thank you very much for Chris to for uh, for calling in. What I'll do is that I'll put that on the 1170 SEN podcast, where you can also find the podcast for uh, Traders News in a nutshell, and you can listen to it uh, there. Uh, but before we head to a break, I just want to thank... Uh, your text messages as well. And on the other side of the break, we're going to just look at some of the other things in sports news. Stick around. Welcome back to Tradies News in a Nutshell. I'm your host, Charles Goodsir, filling in the shoes for Daniel Pettigrew. Don't stress, he'll be back tomorrow. We've got some feedback on the text line. This one from the Melbourne Park Yobbo. 
Oh, he had enough recognition of the achievement of Matthew Ebden in taking out the men's doubles at the Australian Open. A great achievement, along with 43-year-old Indian partner Rowan Bapana. A great achievement. I, I, I agree with you there, Melbourne Park Yobbo. And uh, Rowan Bapana became, the, I think, the oldest um, Grand Slam winner, I think, irrespective of whether it was the, the doubles or, or the singles. So I, I do agree it sort of slipped under the radar a little bit. I, I don't think doubles tennis, mixed as well, doesn't really get the recognition it deserves. Uh, outside of that special case summer with Nick Kyrgios and Thanasi Kokonakis. But I, I agree. I, I think Matthew Ebden and Rowan Bapana deserve their flowers. They deserve their credit. Um, so thank you for highlighting that, Melbourne Park Yobbo. And this one from Western Sydney Eagle. I love this, test, uh, this text message, Western Sydney Eagle. Chris brings way too much common sense to the program. Please cut it out, Chris. LOL. I assume you're talking about uh, Chris from Rose Bay there. Thank you, Western Sydney Eagle. Thank you very much for listening. We're almost out of time here on Traders News in a Nutshell. We just want to touch on this story from uh, Brent Reid in the Daily Telegraph that Shane Flanagan has finally signed uh, another, I guess, star player, quality player, with Raymond Fatala Mariner on a two-year deal who has left the Bulldogs on an immediate release. Dragons fans we, uh, and Bulldogs fans as well, we will be discussing this later uh, on for uh, summer breakfast with Trent Copeland and Michael Karianis. Michael Karianis will have a lot to say about it, so please do stick around uh, and wait for that as well. It's it's interesting. Uh, there were some whispers that, you know, that he wasn't happy at the club, uh, that, you know, there were some, I guess, uh, you know, bad blood between him and Phil Gould. But I think both parties have, have settled on an agreement uh, and they're both going to go their separate ways. Thank you very much for joining me this morning on Tradies News in a Nutshell. Thank you very much for Chris Perkins, who phoned in all the way from America to chat all things NFL Thank you to everyone who texted in uh, the program as well. And thank you very much for Chris from Rose Bay for having a quick chat about Manas Labashain. Please do stick around here on SEN 1170. Coming up is Summer Breakfast with Trent Copeland and Michael Karianis. And if you're listening up north in Queensland, Pat and Heels will join you as well a little bit later on. I've been your host, Charles Goodsir, this morning on Tradies News in a Nutshell. Your regular host, Daniel Pettigrew, will be back tomorrow. But in the meantime... Please have a good one and enjoy your sport. Thank you.